Welcome to the Milestone Church Podcast. Whether you are at home, on the road, or at work, we hope you find this message encouraging and helpful for your life. You can watch other messages just like this one on our website at milestonechurch.com slash messages. Again, we want to welcome you to Milestone Church. I want to welcome those of you watching online and maybe those of you who will watch this later online. However you got here, we're so glad that you're with us. Such a privilege to be with you, to be part of this team, and really an honor to be part of this church. We're starting a two-part series called God is Love. We're going to look at God's character, God's nature. A couple times throughout the course of the year, I'll do this. I'll, I'll do a series on or a message on, you know, maybe the mercy of God or the grace of God. All year we've been telling you our word is grow. We want you to grow, we want you to take steps. Man, we're so proud of you guys. Uh, on a weekend like this, we celebrate all the baptisms. We see all the, we had 450 or 400 people go through Freedom Weekend. We had people go through our growth track. We are having people taking steps. You're in small groups, you're serving people, and it's all great because that's what helps you become the person that God created you to be. See, this Christian life, following Jesus, is not about coming into a room and getting spiritual information. It's about becoming something new, becoming the person God created you to be. And we can't do that if we don't know who this God is. So we take some time to go, okay, who is this God and what is he like? How does he feel about you and I? And the great thing is, every time, I don't know about you, but every time I get closer to God's heart, to God's person, to God's nature, I'm always changed. I always become something new. You know, we, we, we need relationships so desperately. We all want relationships. We, we hear all the time how rampant loneliness is in our world. And so people struggle with relationships. We all kind of do. I don't know about you, but some people like small talk and some people don't. Like maybe you're one of those people who like it. Some people get frustrated by it. Some people like, a church is big. How could anybody even really see me or know me? And so we try to set up all these different environments. But, but one of the things when you're, when you're in small talk, you're trying to find a connection. You're trying to find a window into what makes the person who they are. I remember as a young person, right, like, early in ministry, I was like, well, maybe if I figure out what kind of music they like, that'll give me an insight, we can connect. Maybe what kind of, what their favorite movie was, maybe we'll find something where we connect. And I would look for these different things to try and find connections. The reason why I'm belaboring this point is because brilliant man, A.W. Tozer, he said this, I thought it was so fascinating. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing, catch this, not about God, about us. You know, you hear this word God, what do you think of? What's the first thing that comes into your mind? For a lot of people I know, when they hear the word God, their first thought is, he's upset with me. He's disappointed. He, he's looking for a reason to punish me. You ever felt that way? Like you look at something that happens in your life and you're like, I know I did, this is happening because of what I did. And all I gotta tell you that whatever that is, whatever you think when you hear that word and our experiences and our history and our upbringing, they all shape it, but it has such a profound impact on the way we see ourselves, the way we interact with the world and the way that we treat others. It's, and so here's the reason I'm belaboring this point. It's too important to not be clear on. It's too important to just leave it for hope that somehow you'll figure it out, you'll get it. When we come as God's people to gather in his name, we wanna understand who he is so that we can know and love him more. Think about this, maybe you've never thought about this. Maybe those of you watching online. If I were to ask you, 
What is the greatest thing about God? There's a lot of different ways that you could answer. A lot of answers would make sense too. I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but God is uncreated. He's eternal. I don't know about your mind, but when I try to think about that for too long, my head starts to hurt. That's a big deal. Maybe, maybe it's his power. I don't know if you know this, but the universe is expanding at the speed of light. The universe is really big. God made the universe. Why is the universe expanding at the speed of light? Because he said, let there be light, and he hasn't said stop, so it's going. He's, he's big, he's strong. But, but if we look at his power, or the fact that he's eternal, or the fact that he's omniscient, he knows everything. I wouldn't say the Bible says any of those things are the greatest thing about God. The greatest thing about God is his love. God's love is greater and more powerful than anything else in the universe. It's fundamental to his being. Now I know you're going, well Jed, you're not really breaking any ground. We know God is love. This is like, okay, the water's wet and the sky is blue. You're not really, you, you gotta have something better than that. But, but what I would say to you is this, is you may have heard God is love. You may have understood, oh yeah, God loves me, but if we really understood the power and the significance of what that really means, none of us could be the same. Everything in our life would change if we really understood what it means to say that God is love and he loves you and I. The truth is, every human being that's ever lived, doesn't matter when they lived, where they lived, who their parents were, what their interests were, what their hobbies were, whatever it is, every single one of us is the same in this aspect. At the deepest level, every human being wants more than anything else to be loved. The Bible says in Proverbs 19:22, what a person, meaning any and all of us, everywhere at any time, desires is unfailing love. We want it so bad. We, we might try to act tough, we might try to act like we don't need it, but what we really want is to be loved. I don't know if you've been watching the Olympics. I like watching the Olympics. It's watching the swimming and one of the swimmers is, you know those swimmers, man, it's crazy. They, they wake up at 4.30 in the morning. You see them for like a one minute swim. They've been waking up for years and decades at 4.30 in the morning by themselves swimming over and over and over for that one race. And they get to that one moment and they win their heat then they win the semifinal. They win, I was watching Caleb Dressel and he's all yoked up and he's like got all these tats and sleeves and he looks like he could be a UFC fighter and he's setting all these records and he gets to the swim and I'm like, this guy is impressive. And then they, he comes to the interview after he wins his gold medal. And they're like, he's just like, he's humble. He's like, yeah, I was just trying to do the best I could. And then they turn on the link to his family and he sees his wife and he sees his mom and dad. He's already won the medal, but when he sees them, he melts. Why? Because it's not the medal. It's knowing the people that are most important in his life. Do you love me? Are you proud of me? Did you see what I did? Do you care? Are you with me? And he just begins, this big, strong guy just begins to weep. Why? Because all of us, we want so deeply to be loved. We can't live without being loved. And we know that. The problem is it's really hard and many times when we try to love each other, we mess it up, we make it more difficult, we try, to, we try our best. You know, I was, grew, grew up in the 80s. In the 80s, we had this rock pop band, maybe you remember them, Foreigner. They were bold enough one time to make a song called, I Wanna Know What Love Is, I Want You To Show Me. If you've heard it, it's now in your head, you're welcome, by the way. Um, <laughs> 
And, and, and here's the thing, we all wanna know, but we don't know how it works, and we're trying our best, and we're all shaped by our experiences and our family, and they tried their best, and they're broken, and they had their own flaws, and th- their parents had their own issues, and, and it takes you a while to figure that out. We, we, you know, again, I was born in the 80s, we were latchkey kids, we thought nuclear war was imminent at any moment, and so it shapes you, and you're like, I don't really know what my future's gonna look like, a lot of cynicism, difficulty, they called us Gen X, and so, you know, just Gen X latchkey kids, we became helicopter parents, and we got this idea that the best thing we could say to our kids was just, you could be whatever you want if you want it bad enough, and that hasn't worked out so good, and, and they, they grow up with all this pressure, Right, my, my friend, he, before I had kids who were literally gauged, he, he said, will you take my boys to Little League? I was like, yes, I've been waiting for this. I took them to this field. I don't know if you guys have been around youth sports recently. It's chaos, and so I went, and, and they're playing baseball, and, and, and they start playing, and, and I'm like, what is going on? No one got out, there was no score, just kids running around the bases. One kid ran from home to third to second. I'm like, what are we doing? And they're all, we're all winners. And I was like, not really. <laughs> but, but what are we doing? We're reacting to what youth sports was when I was a kid. It was brutal. Like, I grew up in a small town, and the whole town came out for Little League, and kids are rough, man. And, and you better believe, we kept score. Everyone knew the score. But it's a small town, so everybody gets out there, everybody plays, and there's that one kid, right? Who, like, they're nervous. They don't know what they're doing. They grab the bat the wrong way. They grab the big part. You're like, no, switch it around, and... Kids will go, easy out, everybody scoot in. This poor kid's up there trying to hit the ball. The third baseman is so close to the batter because he's not even worried that the person's gonna hit it. They could actually touch him. And the kids are laughing, the, the, the umpire's laughing, the, the parents are laughing. Look at it, it's hilarious, it's good for them. They'll get over it. They didn't get over it. It's like somebody after the last service goes, I was that kid. It's out there. I mean, we just, we deal with stuff. Why, why, well, our parents had the same challenges. Our parents, you know, like, my dad's relationship with his dad was hugely impacted by the fact that his dad never once told him he loved him. Why would he do that? That's, that's so hard. It was a different time, a more formal time. You know, we, back then we called them grandma and grandpa. Now we got all these names, right? Like, my father-in-law said, I'm gonna decide that your kids are gonna call me Sharky instead of grandpa. I was like, okay, I guess Sharky. And, <laughs> My kids told me, this is all real, I didn't make this up. My kids told me, well, Dad, here's what we're gonna call you. Our kids are gonna call you Papa Jay. I was like, I don't even get to pick. They're like, I guess I'm Papa Jay then. I started talking in the third person like a rapper. And <laughs> what are we just trying to sort it all out? We're trying to figure it out. Like my dad's dad, my grandpa, they, they were shut down. They, it wasn't like they were trying to not love their kids. They tried to love their kids by providing for them and serving, but they had challenges, man. We're, we're calling them Mimi and Pop Pop and Poo Poo and Pee Pee. Like that guy, <laughs> he stormed the beaches at Normandy. Like it's like a totally different deal. Like he lived through the Great Depression and, and here's the thing. We're all challenged and broken and we want to love people but we don't know how to do it and sometimes the more we try, the worse it gets and so we're all just trying to make our way through life and then a pandemic happens and, and we live in an information age where everything we get is noise and so the only way above the noise is to be even more negative than the last person and so all you hear like, yeah, I appreciate you're laughing at it because most people don't. And, and, when you hear like a friend comes up to you and you go, hey, did you hear about this thing? 
It's never like a really, no, you know, you hear about this? My friend is so full of the love of God, man. He just is, he's just always, he just feels so loved all the time. No, it's never that. It's always like, okay, this didn't work and now that's gonna kill us and now there's murder bees and it's just everything <laughs> is bad all the time. And so how do you have any hope in your heart? And so sometimes as Christians we think, well, I just think the right things and if we just have the truth, if I just had information, that would solve it. Information doesn't solve it. We need something deeper in our heart. We have this need to be loved and the great news is our greatest need meets God's greatest attribute, its greatest strength, it's the greatest thing about his person. The greatest thing about God is the very thing we need the most and that's his love. And not just to know about it, or not to just hear it, but to experience it for ourselves. Turn with me in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 4. We're going to look at an actual expert. I believe there are still those. He is an expert on love. He's a real man. His name is John. He was one of Jesus' closest friends. He wrote about his life. He, in fact, he was persecuted after when he began to preach. He was persecuted. They tried to kill him. He wouldn't die. They finally, eventually, when we're, when we're going to read his words here in 1 John, he's an elder at a church, the church of Ephesus, where Timothy is the pastor, and he's writing to encourage people. But, but here's the thing about John. He's kind of a character. I always relate to John. John gave himself a nickname, which is out of bounds. Like, don't do that, but he did. And he gave himself a good nickname. His nickname was the disciple that Jesus loved, which... Um, kind of implies there are disciples Jesus doesn't love, but apparently God was okay with it because it's in the Bible, it's in there, and I didn't make that part up, and so he was the disciple that Jesus loved, and, and he wrote his gospel, and then he wrote his letter. I, I looked at this this week, I never realized this. In the New Testament, the word love is used in John's gospel 39 times. In his letter that we're about to look at, 1 John, that letter, the word love shows up 27 times. So those two documents, 39, 27, the next closest in the entire New Testament is the book of Romans, and only 18 times. So John was all about love. It was a big deal to him. In fact, I bet if you only know one Bible verse, you know John 3, 16, for God so loved. His whole world, everything he thought, he thought, he thought through this lens of love. So here he is later in life, Reflecting, and he's looking at Christians because Christians have gotten this idea and believed a lie. I know we don't do that anymore, but back then they did, and, and they believed this lie that Jesus wasn't really the Son of God and that he didn't have to die on the cross for our sins. So in response to those ideas, John writes this letter that we'll pick up here in 1 John chapter 4. It says this, verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. It's important to understand that. Maybe if you have a pen there, underline that. Love comes from God. Love doesn't come from your feelings. It doesn't come from the Hallmark Channel. It doesn't come from a sentimental dinner with your sweetheart. It doesn't come from the perfect vacation with your kid. If you've ever felt like it's a struggle, I have a hard time loving someone, there's a good reason because you and your feelings and your heart are not the source of love. Love only comes from God. So our ability to love others is dependent on our connection to him. Look what it says, everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. You know, my dad was a pastor and, and as a young guy, I grew up in church, was around church all my life and there are a lot of opinions on what makes someone close to God. And some people think, well, 
I, I know the most, or I've read the most books, or I've been to the most services, or I've been here the longest time, and there's all these opinions about it, and if you've been around church people for any number of time, it could be disappointing and painful and hurtful, and you run into hypocrisy and challenges, but if we go back to God's word, God makes it pretty simple. He said, you wanna know who the person who's close to me? It's the person who's filled with my love and who loves other people. And when we make that our standard, it's amazing how not only do the people around us do better, but we do better ourselves. Because I love what this says here in verse eight. God isn't just loving. The Bible could say he's loving. The Bible actually says God is love. Now here's why that's so important. Because the Bible says God is love. Linguistically what that means is anything that claims to be love has to meet that standard if we agree with the Bible. So when you say I love someone, what you're really saying is I am treating this person in a way that you can see the character and the nature of God in me by the way that I'm relating to someone else. That's hard for our world. Our world thinks love is whatever the deepest thing that you want right now that you're feeling or love is love or any other nonsensical way. The Bible says, no, 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 love is God and if it doesn't look like him, it isn't love. Verse nine. This is how God showed his love among us. Don't you love that? He didn't just think his love, he didn't just feel his love, he showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. What an incredible statement. God's love is not just a get out of jail free card. It's not just I'll save you from hell card. It's not just a hey, I'll respond to your prayer request. His love actually says, my love is so good, so rich, so profound, that it doesn't just solve your problems. It invites you into a life that you cannot have any other way. Wow. I don't know if you've ever thought about that. I don't know if you've ever longed for something. Like my old friend Bono used to say, we still haven't found what we're looking for. Here's what we're looking for. <laughs> we're looking for the life that can only be found when we're rooted and centered in the love of God. I don't know about you, but my soul wants that so bad. The problem is it can get distracted and get satisfied in things that are so much less that have no power to love me back, but make no mistake, the love of God is an invitation to a life you could never manufacture on your own. Verse 10, this is love, I love this. If you've ever been performance minded, you know I grew up as a younger brother in a small town, so my older brother had lots of friends, so I was the little tag along, always trying to improve. I was smart enough, strong enough, athletic enough, I was gonna show them that I was worth noticing. Look what, the, look what the Bible says, it sets us free, verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God. It's not about you, it's not about your performance. You didn't do anything. You could go to every service for the rest of your life, you could give all of your money to the poor and God would owe you nothing because it's not that we loved him, but that he loved us and he sent his son as an atoning sacrifice, he gave the greatest gift, the greatest thing, the thing most dear in his possession, his eternal son, he gave him so that you and I might have life. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Now, that's too much for this week, we'll put that off to next week. That's one of those airline situations 
You know, when you're on the plane and the mask comes down and they say, as a dad, I always think, put it on the kids. And they're like, no, no, no. Don't put it on the kids first. Put it on you first because you'll be dead. So be alive so that you can help the kids. And really, that's the way the love of God works. See, you don't grow in the love of God by loving other people. You first have to receive that because you're not the source, so you can't give it if you haven't received it. So many of us trying to love everybody else, thinking about somehow by loving everybody else, that'll make us whole with God, but it's only in being whole with God that then we're free to love somebody else. If this love is so big, if it's so vital, if it's so life-changing, why don't we experience it more? You're like, Jed, can you summarize? You said a lot of things. Summarize it for her. Here's what I would say. This passage is saying something so profound. God is so smart. We're made in his image. God's greatest attribute, the greatest thing about his person is also the deepest need of every human being. His greatest attribute is our greatest need. We need it more than anything else to survive. You need his love more than anything else. So you say, Jed, well, if that's true, why don't we experience it more? And, and we're gonna look in just a minute at three of the reasons that I know I've done that make it hard for me to receive God's love. But before we even get to those, let me just tell you, we live in a broken, fallen world. There is an enemy. And just like he did for the first human beings, he does to you and I, every day he wakes up and tells you, does God really love you? If God really loved you, would this have happened? God doesn't love you, you can't trust him. He doesn't care about you, only you care about you, so you have to do what you feel like doing in order to be whole. You ever heard that? I know I have many, many times. There's an enemy who lies, who accuses, who constantly tries to separate you from God's love on a daily basis. We also live in a broken world. And in this broken world, there's all kinds of ideas all the time that are floating around. I thought about this this week as I was working out. Now I work out, I have an app that has a trainer on it and the trainers are motivating you all the time. And so this trainer on this app was telling me, he's like, great job waking up this morning, getting ready, right into your workout, you're powerful. I was like, yes, I am powerful. Thank you, trainer. I was feeling strong. And then the tree, he just kept going. He goes, this morning, I want you to verify your greatness. I was like, I don't know what that means, but I'm here to do it. Let's do it. I'm gonna verify my greatness. And then he said, he said, all the power that you need is inside of you. I was like, uh, wait a minute, we've crossed the line. And then, I appreciate he was trying his best, and this is what he hears all the time. Maybe in his training, they told the trainer to say this. And then, then he goes, you know what you need to do? Don't listen to anybody else, you live your truth. I was like, okay, we stopped talking about, just trainer, here's what you need to tell me. Exercise, you look strong, you're feeling fit, and let's just leave it at that, because what you're telling me isn't true. Living my truth, because here, here's, the problem is, the enemy, the world, and then my other problem is my flesh. Because my flesh will tell you, you know what you need to do, Jed? You need to think about you. You need to take care of you. I heard a new term this week, you heard this term? Self-care. We're trying to fix mental health, so we're all focused on self-care. Self-care is you do what you feel like doing. Who cares what anybody else thinks? That's terrible advice. You need to love yourself. You know the only way, if I believe the Bible, the only way that I love myself is if I say to myself, not do what makes you feel good, because what makes me feel good is eating a bunch of donuts. <laughs> and then I don't feel good after I feel good for a minute, if you know what I'm saying. No, no, what I need is not, I don't love myself by doing what I feel like doing. I love myself when I tell myself what God who is love says about me. That's the only way that I love myself. 
So if that's true, why don't we do it more? Well, again, like I said, it's a challenge because we think we've been disqualified from God's love. Because we think somehow if I do good, I am good, we think the moment we've blown it, God's disappointed. Remember, he's frustrated, he's angry, he's looking for a reason to punish us. That's what we feel, but that's not what the word says. Maybe you're in that other group like I was, performance orientation, right? Like we try to earn God's love. And the problem with earning God's love is if you can earn God's love, you can lose God's love. Also, if you can earn God's love, it creates this scoreboard in your mind where you're not just competing against yourself, you're competing against everybody else. And the problem is that makes you self-righteous. And pretty soon you're very aware of how everyone else is not doing all the stuff that you're doing. And all of a sudden now it's about you and everybody else and it stops being about the love of God. And really the third and final one, which is really the saddest one, is we end up, you've done this, I've done this, we take the love of God for granted. Maybe we are not so brazen as to come right out and say it. Maybe you watching online can relate to this. You would never say, oh God, I don't need your love, but subtly the affections of our heart are drawn towards other things. We say, yeah, I appreciate the love of God, but if I really had this title at work, if I really had my own business, if I could achieve this level of earning, if I could get to this level of success, if I could get to that level, if I could buy that house, if I could, if my kids could succeed at this level, if I could get that, we start chasing all these other things, and the problem is none of those things have the power to love us back. All those things at some level can be good things if they're under the larger motivation of receiving and walking in God's love. But we chase things that have no power to love us back and then we wonder why we're walking around frustrated and disappointed thinking there's got to be more than this. So before I pray for you, I wanna talk real practically. How does the love of God change us? How does God's love change us? Well, the first way is God's love, as I was just, was just saying, God's love makes us whole. It makes us whole. Most of us, we don't know what whole is, we know what depleted is. We know what worn out is. We know what stressed or anxious or tired or concerned or worried or burnt out or blackout or brown out. We know what all those things are. That's why we need self-care. Because we know what we're doing isn't working. And I would say this, I would imagine just about every family in the room and watching online can relate to a struggle that we have at my house. One of the quickest ways to create family conflict and drama is this little guy and it's really not so much the phone part as the cord part, because they have this incredible propensity to disappear, and almost always from dad. I think they take it from dad because they think dad doesn't really know how to work the phone, so he won't notice if the cord is gone. And those cords just leave, and they just go away, and, and then you start getting into bartering situations. Why, because without that cord, that phone eventually, it's on borrowed time. And our phones don't just run out of juice. Our phones don't just stop working periodically. Our phones die. So dramatic. <laughs> because when something dies, you only have a couple choices. You grieve its death, you seek immediate medical attention, or you try to raise it back to life. And so we have all these families fighting for the cord to bring their phone back to life so that we can go back to walk, looking at our phone and not looking at each other. Different message. But um, <laughs> it's like I, somebody, I was saying this last night and, and somebody said, they're like, they like hey, what you're saying is true. There's like, I saw something online. I was like, what did it say? It said, well, I know how my life's gonna end. They're gonna unplug my life support so my kids can plug in their iPad. I was like... <laughs> It's like, see, I told you. 
right? Why? Because we love those phones. We need those phones, you know? And so the phone will tell you 20% left. Then the phone will go 10% left. Then the phone will go 5%. And then all of a sudden the phone will just disappear. And so what happens in our houses is you start having face-offs between siblings. What's your phone at? My phone's at 13. Mine's eight. Give me the cord. You're like fighting. It's like, and you're like, why are you making such a big deal about phones and being partial and being worn down? Because here's the thing, the phone gives you a notification when you're depleted and about to run out. Your soul doesn't give you that. But so many of us are walking around at 6%, 8%, 13%. And not only do we not know we're at that, we don't even know what to plug into. So we plug into more work, we plug into more exercise, we plug into good things that have no power to fulfill us. We can't restore ourselves any more than a battery can restore itself. It needs an outside source that's stronger than it. And the whole time, God's over here going, hello, if you would just plug into me, I would give you life that you can't manufacture on your own. Every single one of us it doesn't matter how long you've walked with God, you need to receive God's love, not intellectually, not cerebrally, but experientially in your soul on a daily basis. If I have any value to be up here, it's not because I have a degree or because I'm smart or because I have something to say or I can make you laugh. If I have anything of value to offer you, it's because the love of God has come through my life and illuminated things to me that I couldn't understand on my own and so now I offer them to you as a gift but that gift is contingent on my ability to receive the love of God so that I have something to offer someone else. So how does that actually work? How do you fall in love with God? How do you receive that love? Well, it's pretty practical. You fall in love with God. You grow in love with God the way you grow in love with anyone. You spend time with them. If you're married, you remember when you first fell in love and you'd lost total track of time. You just wanted to be in their presence. My wife and I, when we were engaged, we were long distance. We had really bad phone bills. Remember those? We had them. Why? Because we wanted to be together and in the same way in our relationship with God, he wants to be with you. He wants you to hear not what the world says about him, not what your trainer says about him, not what somebody, your English teacher said about him. He wants in his own words to speak to you. I love that story in the baptism about Paige as she read her Bible, she fell in love with God. It'll happen for all of us. So we spend time in his word. We spend time in his presence. We have to be with him. How would your day be different if the first thing you checked in the morning wasn't your phone, but that you just took a minute or two to just say, God, I love you. I thank you for your presence. I want you to know that I love you. I want to hear your voice. I want to be with you today. Our lives would be so different. It's so simple. It could be so easy to overlook, but man, it'll change the way that you relate to the others around you in your life. So we spend time with him. We talk to him. We pray to him. And the third thing is we worship. You're like, is that just singing? Well, Singing is part of it, but worship is really worship. It's saying this is the highest thing in my life. When you worship, when you spend time in his presence, he draws near to you and you experience him, not just with your mind, not just with facts about him, but in his presence. My um, fifth grade son came back from camp yesterday. He's all excited to talk to me. We gave him a big hug. It was so good to see him. He said, Dad, I gotta tell you something. It's big. I go, what happened, son? He goes, man, Dad, I was at camp. He goes, and I, I got serious about worship. He goes, for the first time in my life, I closed my eyes and lifted my hands. I go, wait a minute, what were you doing all those other times? He goes, don't worry about it, Dad. He goes, <laughs> he goes but when I did that, he goes, I'm telling you, God's presence came all over me. Do you know I've prayed that over him every day of his life? Yeah. 
that God would speak to him, more than him just understanding facts or information, more than him hearing about how his dad loves God or his grandpa loved God or his brothers and sisters, that this God loves him and wants to know him and wants to have a relationship with him. And when he begins to experience it by himself on his own, it changes everything and it changes it for him and it'll change it for you and me. We have to be in his presence. You never outgrow that need for it. You might go one day, you might go two days, but that third day you're walking around and you don't even know why. You're so short with your spouse. You're short with your kids. You're acting a fool at work. Why? Because you're depleted and you've run out of the very thing that gives you life, that connection with the love of God. We all need it. Here's the second thing. God's love makes us free. It makes us free. You know, we've been through a difficult time. You go through a difficult season. We're all trying to manage challenge, manage difficulty. We all have a measure of self-care. The problem is when we start to self-care, when we have distractions, when we have hobbies, sometimes we have things that are just take the stress away. Those stress relievers, all of a sudden, they can become, quickly, they can become character flaws, they can become addictions, they can become challenges. And so we think, how do we get out of that? How do we get out of those patterns? Well, we just try harder and we come up with atomic habits and we work really hard, we discipline ourselves. And the whole time, the Bible says, whenever we have a sin problem, we have a love problem. That it's the kindness of God, it's his love in our life that leads us to repent, to change, to start things new. It's really his love that sets us free. We talked about Freedom Weekend. When you grow, when you, be, when, you, when you change, it's not just try harder, do harder. It's no, no, I don't have to do that because God loves me and he's enough to make me whole. When you understand how much he loves you, it makes you free. You have nothing to, nobody to impress and nothing to prove, and you understand that he loves you so deeply, which leads us to the third thing that I love about God's love, is God's love, his, his, his love doesn't just make us free in the sense that we're free to do whatever we want. The, the greatest thing about that love that makes us free is, the third thing is, God's love makes us like him. Whatever you love, whatever you spend time with, you start to talk like them, you start to like what they like, you start to sound like them. God's greatest desire for you is not to just not do bad things. God's greatest desire for you is not to just go to services. God's greatest desire for you is that life I talked about, that life in him and through him. And in that life, you begin to be like him. When we say, church, we want you to grow, we're not saying we want you to do spiritual activity. We're saying we want you to be transformed in your person, in your character, so that you look like your father in heaven and you enjoy his goodness and his peace and his love in all of your relationships. That's why we want to grow. The husband you want to be, the friend you want to be, the dad you want to be, the mom you want to be, whoever it is, wherever you're at in your season, whatever that need is, you'll find it as you become more like him. It's so hard for us because life gets difficult and we go through challenges and when we hear things, we think, ah, I've blown it. I was thinking about this this week. I was driving my son to work. We were in the car, and, and, and it was one of those growth moments, and I was coaching him. And there were some areas where it wasn't like I was being corrective. It wasn't like I was mad. It wasn't any of those things. It was just, I was trying to help him understand 
that God has this great plan for his life and, and, and God grows us as we handle responsibility and as a young man, you want all these freedoms, you want all these privileges, but God gives us as much privilege and freedom as we could handle because God loves us so much. So I was looking at my son and I was like, son, this is what it means to have character, this is what it means to have purpose and, and I'm just coaching him and I'm just, and in my heart I'm like, I'm loving him, I'm pouring out my heart, I'm giving him the best thing I have and the Holy Spirit stops me. And the Holy Spirit goes, I appreciate the effort you're giving, but I don't think he's hearing what you want him to hear. Holy Spirit says, stop and ask him, what is he hearing you say? So I did it. I said, son, what do you hear me saying to you? He looked at me and he said, dad, I'm hearing, I'm so messed up. And I gotta tell you, I was grateful for his honesty, but it hurt, because that was the last thing I wanted him to hear. And the Holy Spirit said to me, do you see what that feels like? See, I don't know what your challenge is. I don't know what your situation is. I don't know where you're at, but here's what I do know. What you need more than anything else is God's love. You need it in your soul. You need it to become whole. You need it to be free. You need it to become the person to live the life you've always wanted that seems outside of your grasp because it is outside of your grasp. You can't manufacture it. The only way you get it is to receive that love. But if all you think God's saying to you is you've blown it, you're messed up, I don't want to be with you, you, you put, get away from me, we'll never receive it the way he wants us to. But when you turn, Open your heart and say, God, I know you loved me before I loved you. I want to receive your love. It changes everything. Let's pray. Jesus, we're so grateful. Lord, we're grateful that you loved us before we could ever do anything for you. Lord, I'm praying for every person. Lord, here in this room, Lord, on the other side of that screen, Lord, I pray that they would not just hear, not just mentally ascend, but that they would know your love. Lord, that the things that are trying to crowd out your love, the enemy's accusations, the, the opinions of the world, the desires of our flesh, Lord, I pray that all those things would be silenced so that we could receive what our souls really need more than anything else is your love. God, we're so grateful for it. There's no one like you. You're so good. You change everything. We love you and we thank you for your love. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this week's message. If there's anything we can do to help you in your walk with Jesus, please don't hesitate to reach out through our website at milestonechurch.com. And if you found this podcast helpful, leave a review on the podcast app or your favorite podcast platform. We hope you have a great week.